So many bad brain days before. Yes. And you're in the right place. We're in a safe place. Yeah. This We're is... in an Ursat's podcast studio. Well, welcome everybody. Hi. This is the Manic Episodes. I'm Mary Lambert. I'm Paige Hermanson. And we're gay together. <laughs> yeah, and now you're gay too. <laughs> welcome to hell. No, you're going to enjoy the hell out of it. No, we're going to have a good time. You're also going to love being bipolar and fat. You're welcome. Both of those things will happen to you within 24 to 48 hours. Only if you're lucky. We're here because, well, we've been talking about doing this for a really long time, but one thing that I love talking about with Paige and in our very gay relationship is is we're both bipolar. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever dated anybody that's bipolar. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Me too. And we've had many discussions about actually how much easier it is to communicate with each other and does sort of like there's so much explaining that you have to do when someone's what would you say non-neurodivergent or yeah I guess like neuronormative I, I almost said cis brain <laughs> that's not, cool that doesn't I make, like cis brain it doesn't make any <laughs> sense whatsoever neuronormative neuronormative um I don't know non-pole non-polar <laughs> normies <laughs> yeah. explaining it to people that aren't bipolar about yeah. what it's like to go through through a manic episode with what it's like to be like in a depressive bout and also that it's like different for everybody so even though we're both bipolar what we experience is different from each other as well yeah and i think there are lots of things that make our relationship unique your career and your public persona being elements of that Mm. i do think our relationship is representative in some ways of categories of identity that are underrepresented. Yeah. Kind of just generally, you know? Yeah. Or misrepresented. We were just talking about this of like, when's the last time that you saw like um, a high functioning bipolar person in media? Oh my God. Never. Never. Um, I both, I I knew I was, I, I think the oldest I have felt in years was trying to watch that HBO show Euphoria and I tried, we, we took another crack at it the other day and we tried and I just felt like so deeply concerned for everybody involved and then like kind of disapproving and like <laughs> wanted them to like get off my lawn and off my TV and like stop <laughs> doing drugs. Yeah. It definitely did not seem to me to be a fair representation of the life of someone with bipolar disorder. Mm. You mentioned categories of identity and the like sub headline for our show was a big fat queer bipolar podcast, maybe not in that order. Um, so let me ask you, what of those identity categories do you align yourself with? Oh, all of them. But I think I'm more visibly fat than anything else. And so I think that that is something that is on my mind a lot of the time is like existing in the world as a fat person and what that means and um, and what challenges there are and what things to celebrate that there are and in the ways in which I reject societal norms, you know? You mean visible, like a stranger in the room with you for the first time would pick up on, oh, she's fat before, yes. oh, she's queer. Yes. But visible in terms of your public persona, do you, would you still put that first? No, I would say I'm more visibly queer. Uh-huh, yeah. Like I think people more see me that way. You're also visibly bipolar. Um, this came up really early on in our relationship. 
Mm. This came up in our first date, which I did not realize that you had a song with this big public admission of being bipolar. <laughs> I did not know that because on our first date, I did not know who you are. I'm so sorry. That was okay. Yeah. I preferred it. You did? <laughs> yes. That's really sweet. Yeah, maybe we should talk about how we met and Let's do a it. little bit about that. So I, for those of you listening who don't know who I am, I'm Mary Lambert. Um, I'm most known for singing the song Same Love. And um, I released a single called Secrets, which um, in the first line I talk about being bipolar. So in my head, I thought that you for sure knew that I was bipolar because Honestly, I have conversations with complete strangers, like in the grocery line about mental illness. Like that's just kind of my life. And I've heard them now that I've been around you for a year and a half. I hear, I I can only imagine when we were on our first date and I said, um, I don't, I don't even know what prompted me to open up to you in this way. But I said, well, you know, I have bipolar disorder and you were like, yeah, me too. Like it was no big deal. And I was like, Holy shit, really? Like, what meds are you on? Oh my God, that's <laughs> unbelievable. This is incredible. Yeah, and I was like, um, it's not that weird. Like, you obviously know. Like, you know I'm bipolar. Why are you, like, playing coy? <laughs> but I did not. I had no idea. And in fact, when I walked in, walked into the bar, it was the day of uh, pr- of the local Pride. And I was, like, sunburned to a crisp and, like, hungover from day drinking and I walked into the bar and I had to, I texted Mary and I was like, can you um, lift up your hand so I know where you are? I can't find you. And apparently Mary this whole time just thought that was part, part of some charade. I know. I was just like, you don't have to pretend that you don't know who I am. Like, <laughs> like that's not going to like, you know, you don't, it's, it's okay. It's okay that you know who I am because everything you said was just so like, felt like so tailored to me and for me that I was like, okay. And then, so when you said you were bipolar, I was just like, well, obviously you're going to tell me that because Everybody tells me that. Why wouldn't you? Uh (laughs) So I was just kind of used to it. And I was not. So that was already like a fascinating experience. I'd never gone on a date with anybody who was bipolar. I don't even really have very many friends who are bipolar. Yeah. Um, And I think the the nature of the stigma around bipolar disorder makes people really ashamed of it. And so it was an interesting experience to feel like, oh, wow, we both like came out as bipolar on this date. That's great. And my initial feeling was, oh, wow, if if we keep seeing each other, I bet this is going to be pretty fucking cool. But I mean, I I was I was nervous. Like there were moments where I was really I was like, oh, no, like I had always been in relationships with people that were, you know, were sensitive to mental illness um, or that like really didn't believe it existed Um, (laughs) Uh and that. I needed to be with somebody that was like, you know, maybe cold or like really rational. Yes. And um, really, really even keeled and not as um, extreme in their emotions or expressions of emotions. Right. And like, that's why I feel like being bipolar has been such a honestly, I, I feel like it's a gift. It is like the way that I move through the world and see the world. Like, I feel so lucky to have this like perspective that is I feel like I'm really in touch. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm able to really see, mm-hmm. like, the full spectrum of mm-hmm. human emotion. And so what if that happens, like, during the course of a day? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's this line in The Great Gatsby I love where Nick describes, I think describes Jay Gatsby as having a, as being so socially and emotionally sensitive that he he compares them to a machine that detects earthquakes. Mm. Um, and I love that because I, I sort of feel... 
that same way for better or for worse. I feel like I pick up on so many nuances of the emotional experience of being alive. Right. It does. It feels like a superpower. And I, at the same time as I don't want to romanticize it, you know, because there have been so many elements of it that have made life just incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. And I know you feel the same way. Right. And But I do think it has given me, and now that I'm, I'm 35 years old, I'm like, I know myself so well. Right. And I, without the peaks and valleys, I don't know if I would be able to say that. Right. And I also went through enough relationships just like you did with people who either kind of pretended, I think, that my mental illness didn't exist. Like, I think maybe because that was less scary for them would just not really bring it up or not talk about it um, or would really dismiss the idea of psychiatry and having mental health problems altogether. And neither of those approaches is particularly good. No. But through my relationship with you, I've discovered the secret. What? It's just finding and dating another bipolar person. (laughs) Here it is. Solution. Let's get into the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. When, Mary, were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder? What are your, what do your symptoms usually look like? What's your relationship with bipolar disorder as an adult? So I was diagnosed when I was 15 and I was always like a very dramatic child. I was the star of my own movie and I cried all the time and I laughed all the time and I would have these insane laughing fits where my like my babysitter had to put me in the closet and she'd put me in the closet for like a full half hour because I couldn't stop laughing. And so it for me it was kind of like super super hyper behavior. Almost like it might be ADD, but I, it was like very rapid. Mm-hmm. So it would be that. And then I would be like d- just devastated about something. I, you know, I was kind of like a, I was a depressed eight-year-old that had these huge like laughing fits. So when I was diagnosed when I was 15, you know, bipolar disorder runs in my family. My aunt is bipolar. My uncle's bipolar. So I knew that it was, it was a possibility that that could be real. But mm-hmm. I didn't totally, like I didn't totally believe it because I was like, I'm 15, like I'm hormonal and I'm in theater and I'm probably gay. Like there was just like a lot of things. And I was, I also sort of believed that because I had experienced trauma, that trauma was sort of the issue that I had Mm -hmm. to deal with. And so, and I was in therapy starting from when I was six years old. Wow. Yeah. So I was, I was very accustomed to language Mm -hmm. and the language of, psychiatrists and psychology. And I just felt, I I just felt very dismissive of my diagnosis. And then when I was 17, I attempted suicide Mm. and, uh, I got put on meds, which I had a really negative association with because the meds I was put on were really dramatic in order to like, you know, stop me from killing myself. So you were on a pretty strong cocktail. Yeah, I was on Seroquel Seroquel and I was on um, the meds I'm on now, Lamictal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I was on, I was 17 and I was on a really heavy dose of Seroquel. And for me, I had such trouble sleeping anyway. And one of the issues that I was experiencing, well, when I was 17, like things were like shit was hitting the fan already. Mm -hmm. I'd been like, I'd been assaulted the year prior you know, a, a lot of stuff was coming out at this time for me. So this is like already within the milieu of stuff being exactly. very difficult. Yeah. Right. That I would just like fall asleep in class. And then I was getting trouble for falling asleep in class. So I had a really negative association to meds. 
So I, um, which is advisable by every, um, psych is I just completely cut off meds and I just, (laughs) I just stopped taking them. That's very dramatically and drastically, Uh which is, I I think everybody agrees is the right way to do it. (laughs) You did, did you just, did you dispose of them dramatically? Did you like throw them into the Pacific Ocean? Oh, I'm sure I did. (laughs) Yeah. So whales could be tired. You put them, um, (laughs) you put them in a. I'm just imagining you tying them on the onto the back of a little parachute man and throwing it off the space needle. <laughs> I'm very Seattle. Yeah, so I I was like, I'm never gonna be on meds. Like meds suck. Like, and also that was around the time when like Garden State came out, which is like a very <laughs> right. like a very like skewed way of looking at mental health. <laughs> like, yep. And I was like, also, yeah, I'm, I'm like, sorry, a skewed way of looking at the shins. Yeah. Not that good. <gasps> Don't say that the shins they're save that for another episode of the pod go ahead put a pin in it okay put a pin in that um so (laughs) i like i just felt um i also felt as a creative person i had only my idea and example of other creative people that were composers or writers were people that were unmedicated and that's how you make brilliant shit Mm -hmm. is you like create chaos in your life Mm -hmm. and you don't take care of yourself and you don't take care of your brain or have healthy relationships or find stability because then you create great art right and you create lots of it and I I was like I'm gonna be a prolific writer and you know a a great singer songwriter and I'm just gonna make a ton of shit yeah and it's like I might cut my ear off but I'll also be fucking Van Gogh yeah so who gives a shit exactly yeah yeah so um and I don't need healthy relationships Mm -hmm. like (laughs) If I have my music and I, uh, so I didn't, I wasn't medicated for Mm -hmm. a really long time. And then, um, when I was 22, uh, because this is when my drinking started. Oh, right. Uh, so I was bartending at that time and I was just getting blackout drunk a couple times a week. And when I was getting blackout drunk, I would, um, I would kind of flip into an, uh, a, uh, a blackout state that was almost, mimicking childhood oh so there was some so I felt conflicted because how I was like how much of my behavior was because of trauma and how much of was it was it because of my bipolar disorder so do you mean that when you would be in these blackout states you would people would tell you that you would act like in a childlike way during oh wow yeah so I mean like and and we could talk about substance abuse I think probably for another episode too put a pin in that it'll be after the shins are overrated episode (laughs) shins (laughs) Overrated, Harvey Danger, underrated. underrated. Thank okay, you. Agreed. That yeah. we can agree on. Put a pin in that. <laughs> um, I had avoided my diagnosis from when I was 15 because I was like, well, I was diagnosed. Oh, so for I, years. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I pretended I wasn't bipolar until I was 22. I didn't know that because now it's such a, obviously, as, yeah. as you mentioned earlier, it's such a part of your identity as an artist. I didn't know that you went through a span where it was like, so that wouldn't be a, a, a lead in line. You would not. No. And, and in fact, if somebody asked you, would you say, Oh yeah, I got diagnosed as bipolar, but it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. everybody's diagnosed as bipolar. That's what I said. That's really? What I thought I was just like, oh, everybody thinks they have everything, and I was yeah? very dismissive of mental illness. Wow. What? So what? What? What changed it? Um, I was dating somebody that was like that had asked me about it. I think they had asked me like, have you ever been diagnosed with something? And I was like, <laughs> I was diagnosed 
bipolar, but like it's not real. And were they like, oh, <laughs> and she was like a firm believer in in medical health, Good. yeah, and medicine. Uh-huh. And she's like, you should <laughs> consider <laughs> medication because my swings were getting really bad. And she noticed that. Yeah, and I also I am somebody that I think. I have used relationships as a way to cope with my bipolar disorder. Oh, yeah, that's real. Because if I am on mm-hmm. and if I am like caring for somebody else or being a, a good person yeah. or a good person in a relationship, then I don't have to think about what's wrong with my brain. Right. I don't have to think about my issues. And so what would happen is she would go to work and I would... I couldn't get out of bed. And wow. So when she, so you'd force yourself to be on yes. when she was around. Yeah. Yeah. And I would get, I would, I would just, I would cry. I would get really depressed. I would watch a ton of porn. And then if I knew she was on her way home from work, I would hurry and put normal clothes on and put makeup on. This sounds all too familiar. To like pretend that like that hadn't been happening. Yep. Uh-huh. And then if I wasn't drinking, cause then that when she came home, then I would start drinking. Oh, gotcha. And if I, if I wasn't drinking, then I had, I was like on the verge of maybe like I rapid cycle. And that just means, sorry to interrupt. No, please. But just to clarify for our listeners, uh, that means that you cycle between mania and depression and presumably there could be a little stable pit stop in there somewhere, but that you cycle between those poles really quickly quickly yeah. how quickly would what would be like the shortest distance between a manic episode and a depressive episode well, a you? minute yeah like it can be really really fast mm-hmm. um and so for me i have i have kind of like two different kinds of manic and um sometimes there's prolonged manic episodes where like i just have really bad impulsive behavior mm-hmm. and um like stuff that really negatively impacts my life some things that are good like i'll you know like Write a book. Yeah. Uh (laughs) I'll I'll create a ton. I'll write like three songs, but I will also like try to sleep with everybody. Right. Or I will like just like, you know, chain smoke and uh, drink and not sleep for three days. Yeah. Like that's, and I'll stop eating. Like that's when the mania is at its worst. Um, When I have these, I, what for me is the rapid cycling is I get really panicky and it's like my brain like, I feel like it's a ping pong table. Like it goes so quickly and I can't focus on one thought. And I start like, um, I start panicking. I almost feel like I black out. Like I can't, I can't breathe. It's, it's like a, it's a panic attack. Like I have sort of a panic attack. And in, in that moment, I can't make a decision. I can't communicate. And all I need to do is find a quiet, dark space to, to hide and to make it all sort of go away and get dark. And these are in the midst of manic episodes. Right. This is a, this is not in the midst of a depressive episode. This is yes. in the midst of a manic episode. Right. And we have talked about this previously where most people most people tend to think that like if you're in a um a depressive episode that's when like it's mo- it's more likely to have a suicide attempt when actually for me my suicide attempts have been when I'm manic, a hundred. When I'm feeling very, very impulsive. Oh, same for me. And I, th- I think I don't have the same. I don't. I don't rapid cycle the same way that you do. I think the 
shortest my my cycles are usually in weeks mm-hmm. um but it has been days before when i was younger and it felt like it was more intense mm-hmm. um but i found mania to be a far more destructive force in my life than depression mm-hmm. bar none um but also as you said the source of doing really incredible things i mean i wrote my dissertation while mostly while incredibly manic yeah um uh, but it's also been the way that i described it to you once is that mania to me feels like it's not euphoria. It's not elation. For me, it's the feeling of like getting in a car that's going way too fast yeah. and just being like, fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Like, Out of control. That's how I yeah. feel. And it's nihilistic. For mm-hmm. me, it's always been nihilistic. It's like, yeah. who cares if I sleep with this person or do a bunch of cocaine or like gamble or like what, what difference does it make? Yeah. I'm just going to do it right now because it feels good. But it's rooted in this this feeling of, yeah, being completely unmoored. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in my relationship with you, um, in my relationship with other people, I've just tried really, really hard to hide that behavior. <laughs> yeah, it's just my like, if I can just not be that, that right. would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wouldn't that be neat if that could happen? What a dream. Um, but also one thing that we, you know, that that I have had a hard time communicating with partners, but that is the truth is, being on medication does not stop manic episodes and depressive episodes from happening. It just doesn't. There are still, um, even while this is the most effectively medicated I've ever been, and I've been on the same cocktail of meds for like eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't had a major episode yeah. during that time. Well, I mean, we can come back to that later, but, um, but still, I still have I still have swings. I yeah. still have periods of time where yeah. it's, I know I'm manic. But I'm in control of it. Yeah. And um, I had a psychiatrist who once told me, um, I said, you know, I've, I've been feeling really, really good lately and I'm worried that I'm manic. Totally. Yeah. And uh, she said, she was one of my favorite psychiatrists. She was great. Um, she said, I was going to shout her out and then I realized that was a weird thing to do. Um, and like maybe like a reverse HIPAA violation. I don't know. <laughs> um, but she said, she called what I had illness anxiety and she said, wow. It's not about your feeling. It's about your behavior. Right. Yeah. Um, she said when, when you can spot that it's a problem is when you're acting in a way that makes you uncomfortable because mm-hmm. that, that's what characterizes mania. And I would agree. Yeah. Feeling euphoric is not a problem. Blowing through all the money in your bank account and sleeping with 10 people could potentially be a problem, right? <laughs> Depending. I mean, maybe. But so um, she would say, are you, are you like, act, is that mania driving you to act in a way that you feel like you can't control? And I said, no. She's like, well, then you're probably just experiencing happiness like a normal person does. And it's okay. (laughs) Totally. But I'm really on guard about that. And in fact, sometimes I'll call my mom or my sister who are incredibly supportive and they know the drill Mm because I got diagnosed with bipolar when I was was 12. Mm -hmm. Um, But they'll still, when when they talk to me, they'll, sometimes my mom will say, honey, you're talking really fast. Are you, are you okay? (sighs) Right. Or... You know, I'll call my sister and be like, I have plans to do X, Y, and Z, huge, amazing thing. And I'm going to build a hot air balloon. And she's like, are you okay? Like, is it okay? Yeah. But of course, when you're manic, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, screw um, you. But they're having awesome. But the more you get to know it, yeah. the more you know, if, if my sister or my mom asked me that question now, I could say, uh, no, I feel, yeah. I feel out of control. Totally. If it's real mania, I'll be like, something's wrong. I can't sleep. I'm not eating. Mm-hmm. I'm out of control. Um... But what we have together is I feel like I I don't have any need or desire to hide this from you, obviously, right. because you know exactly what I'm going through. Um, and 
I feel like we can, I, I can't stop you from experiencing depressive episodes. I can't stop you from experiencing mania, mm-hmm. but I can abstain from, I can, I cannot shame you. I can empathize. Yeah. I can like have some safe bouts of mania with you. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. The other night we stayed up, we stayed up, I guess it, we, it wasn't crazy. We stayed up till like one cleaning. <laughs> but I was like, this is the most, this is the healthiest expression of mania that I think exists like or like scrapbooking like, yes yeah we yeah. scrapbooked for like a bunch of yeah. <laughs> for a long time or we have these moments where we get really really obsessed with something mm-hmm. and it feels controlled and it feels safe like like we i think for like it must have been like six months like every day we'd watch like episodes and episodes of dance moms oh to the point where i mean it, it became it, it, was, it was i it couldn't was, control it no me neither but it was okay. Like if that's if that's as bad as it gets, is like Abby Lee's dance company yeah. bad, then so be it. Like this because what I what I don't want to have happen is to I don't want to swing so far in the other direction where I'm so heavily medicated and I'm so like beyond feeling. Right. That like I want like my swings are like they can be detrimental, but they can also like I feel like are can often be a gift. Yeah. If I can control them. Mm-hmm. How like can I can I harness the power of mania without it being destructive. Right. And I, because that is, I have, I, I feel like I owe so much to it and to the energy the same way that you do, um, to that, that experience of your, cause I feel like mania, if I'm, if I'm to look at the positive aspects of it, it frees you from a sense of having any limitations. <laughs> it's like the world is perfect and every road is perfectly paved for you and nothing is impossible. And I take some of that with me into my stable periods. Yeah. I take some of that like dreaming big and having huge aspirations and um, I I can kind of temper them so that I I can kind of evaluate them when I'm not manic because I've been, you know, I've been living with this disorder of 20 plus years. I can look at it when I'm no longer in in a manic episode and say, there's some of that that's impossible. There's some of that that's wild and unachievable and not healthy, but what can I learn? What can I learn from that? Mm -hmm. What can I like in that, in that state, what, what are the takeaways? What are some like healthy take home messages? Right. right? Similarly, when I've gone through depressive episodes, I'll be like, what was I bummed about? Well, you know, during that particular period of time. Wow. Yeah. Examining that. Yeah. And sometimes of course it's like catastrophic spiraling, totally unrealistic thinking, but sometimes I've taken nuggets from it. Sometimes I'll, I'll be like, you know, I was worried a lot about money while in that last depressive episode. Mm -hmm. I I need to sit down and budget and get control of this. Like, cause there's some, and there might be like a canary in the coal mine somewhere there. Um, but I think being able to, and this sounds weird, like I'm like life hack, you know, work your bipolar disorder to your advantage. (laughs) Um, but I I feel like you, it's part of kind of, it's part of adjusting to it. And I don't think it's necessarily romanticizing it. It's more being the cheesecloth of your own emotional experience. I love that. I think that's, I think that's. That's, I think it is the hack. I think that's how, that's how we have to function. And I, we've been talking about this too, of like seeing examples of people with bipolar disorder in the media that are high functioning and that have been able to like sort of harness this, like this sometimes detrimental 
destructive disorder into something positive Mm -hmm. because there are plenty of really wildly successful people that have done that. Yeah. And we don't have examples of those people. And I think like for me, that's why I speak so loudly about being bipolar because I like, yes, I still have like, I still have like bad brain days, but in general, I have, I have accomplished so much with this disorder and I have been able to like live a full uninhibited life. Like it is, and it's such a joy. It's such a gift. And I don't think that I would live as fully or as completely or as present in my emotions if, if I wasn't this way. Right. You, you are, you are radically uncloseted in so many ways, but I kind of think that you're, you're living openly as someone with bipolar disorder, maybe is the most radical, I, I, I think. Thank you. Just man. because I, I, I mean, and I know it's just my own limited experience, but um, I just, it's just never been something I've been comfortable sharing with people. And yeah. um, that's why this podcast is also a big deal for me. Um, but I'm starting to realize how advantageous it will be for me and for people who are listening to be aware of our journeys mm-hmm. and um, and not to say we've discovered the perfect relationship where we support each other perfectly and here's what you need to do, but rather to learn things from what's gone well for us and hasn't gone well for us and we're still learning all the time. Right. And um, I told Mary that I just read the other day some cheesy Instagram quote that stuck with me. Someone said, you don't, you don't find an ideal relationship, you build it. Mm-hmm. And I want us to kind of explore that, how we have with all these different Id- identity categories that we have, how we've managed to build a successful relationship together. Right. Um, and I remember, you know, you said you're such an incredible success story. And of course you are for so many reasons. And uh, when I was getting my PhD, um, the aforementioned psychiatrist who told me about my illness anxiety, she was so awesome my heart broke when she left. She just, oh, she was wonderful. She just got me. Um, but she, and, and I, I really credit her with getting me through that experience. You should say her name. What's, what's her name? I do, oh my God, this is so terrible. I don't remember. Her first oh, name okay. was Andrea. Um, and even earlier it was like on the tip of my tongue. It started with an R. Um, but she was, I mean, just, I, I really do think that without her, I don't know if I would have been able to get my PhD because it's just such an incredibly difficult experience for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it claim, mental health claims lots and lots of would be mm-hmm. academics because it's just a horrible experience for a lot of people. But she really helped. She she so helped to get me through it. And I remember three or four years into my dissertation and and into getting to know her. Um, she was getting ready. To, she left and, and went to a different practice. Um, but she said, you know, I I really think you should consider going to um, there's a bi- there's a support group for bipolar students on campus and I really wow. think you should go. Did you go? And I was like, well, I think the ship has kind of sailed on that one. I'm almost done. And she yeah. was like, it's mostly undergraduates. And so of course, as a PhD student, you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't sound like my crowd. But, um, she was like, oh no, I don't mean for you to get support. I mean, they, they need to have a, they need to see a model of somebody wow. who's successful, who has bipolar disorder because they don't think it's possible. Right. And I was like, well, of course it's possible. But then she said, yeah, but you're the only doctoral student I've ever visited with who has bipolar disorder. 
I was like, holy shit. It really broke my heart. And I was like, I might be the only one who's come to see you. Yeah. Um, but if that's the case, this system is just chewing people up and spitting them out. Right. And I think people are really getting the message. You cannot be successful in a conventional way if you have this disorder. It's right. just so debilitating. Right. And it just hasn't been my experience. And so I kind of had to be my own role model. And I told her, I was like, I'm really glad you didn't tell me that when I was earlier along in this experience. Yeah. Uh, thank God. By that time, it was already too late. I had like two chapters of my dissertation done. Um, but now, you know, I'm a college professor and I, I think it would be a good model for my students too. And I've been open with my students in the past when, you know, I first um, got this job three or four years ago. My, my insurance benefits hadn't kicked in yet. I was completely unmedicated for like six months and oh. my students saw me. I was a disaster. But I was, I, and maintaining professionalism is really important for me. But I was open with them. Like I'm struggling and it's, I'm struggling with my mental health. I didn't get into gory details, but, um, and they really appreciated it. And part of this new era of openness we have about mental illness and destigmatizing mental illness requires successful models of people who are successful. Right. And that's, I think, what you do for not only people who are, have bipolar disorder, but for women who are fat, for femme fat women, for queer people, mm -hmm. for, um, like, I mean, you just, like, there are so many examples of that and I'm learning a lot from you in that department mm. where I can think like wow maybe my experience as a queer person or my gender identity or my experience with mental illness can can help my students can can yeah you know can maybe show them like a different way of being even if they don't share those identity categories totally you know they can have an idea of what it looks like on the other side you know yeah. what what it, what it can look like to feel comfortable in your own skin yeah and that's why I feel like both of us are activists in our own work. You as an educator, I still feel like you have a role as an activist to to educate not just in in, you know, traditional terms of education, but as an example. Mm -hmm. And I try to do that in my work too mm -hmm. of like, yes, I'm releasing music, yes, I'm a singer, yes, I'm a songwriter, but what can I do? What's my sort of what's my civic responsibility as a public figure and how can I begin to destigmatize like bipolar disorder, mental illness. Yeah. I'm inspired as hell by you. I'm inspired by you. Okay, we're going to make out. <laughs> we'll pause this. <laughs> well, I, we actually, we've talked about kind of how we want to, you know, set these episodes up and uh, <laughs> set up the, our manic episodes. One thing that you and I experience in common with our mania, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know, I, I guess I don't know that many bipolar people. No. So I don't know how common this is. But we get uh, really obsessed with things and um, we go through like, uh, you know, whether it's like a couple days to a couple weeks to like, like you were like obsessed with TikTok for like two days and that's oh, all you did. I couldn't stop. And, and I think, I think it's different than in the front of Us Weekly where it's like our editor is obsessed with his lip gloss right now. It's more, um... <laughs> Uh, all consuming. Right. It's like all you can think about. You're not only thinking about the lip gloss. You're also thinking about fingerless gloves you're obsessed with or whatever. But no, this is very much a one track. All of your energy is going into this obsession kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and you know what I'm talking about if you're bipolar. It's a particular kind of fixation. Yeah, it's a fixation. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about what we're currently obsessed with. So what would you say for you? Are you 
feeling obsessed with right now? Or do you want to talk about your obsessions in general? Definitely. I think the way that I want to do this is with a list. I cycle through the obsessions a little bit more quickly than you. You get stuck on something and you're really stuck on yes, it. Yes. I get stuck on 50 things a day and then I'm done with them. And That's I never, true. I never noticed that. And I never want to talk about them again. This is not in any particular order. Right now, I'm obsessed with Jeff Bezos. Mary knows this. Sometimes we'll be in mixed company and I'll be carrying on some sidebar conversation with someone else in the room. And I'll just hear, I'll just hear his name and I'll be like, again. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know why, I don't know why I'm obsessed with him. It's something about, he's a, he's a weirdo and (laughs) like probably a terrible person. When he was caught cheating on his wife and there was that text message to his mistress and he said, you're my favorite alive girl. Yeah, that's weird. I'm obsessed. That's so weird. And I feel like people who are that wealthy and that powerful, like the George Soros, Jeff Bezos. Yes. Do I talk about, I talk about Jeff Bezos a little bit more than George Soros. You, I mean, I feel like George Soros is also touchy because I feel like white nationalists and like white supremacists constantly are like talking about him. So I feel, I feel like the, the fixation with Jeff Bezos is like. It's a, a little, a, yeah, little a little safer territory. Little <laughs> but I have a theory. When we went to Peru this last summer and we went to Machu Picchu, and of course Jeff Bezos came up because I'm obsessed with him. And um, I said to Mary, like, while we're looking at this incredible, beautiful uh, wonder of the world, I was like, you know, Jeff Bezos could fucking rent this place out if he wanted to. And I argued that no. Let me but know then- what you guys think. Sound off in the comments. <laughs> But I don't know. I'm, I could be persuaded. And I also think that people who are that wealthy, you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. That they have places where they can go, where they can hunt humans. See, <laughs> this has been a long running fixation. Okay. So Jeff Bezos, number one. I'll go through the rest of these more quickly. Okay. Um, a hidden object game on my phone I've been playing. It's called June's Journey. Uh, I think I'm trying to help June find like her sister's murderer. And I don't exactly know how me finding candlesticks in like a 1920s bar scene is helping with that. But, you know, I'm doing my you're doing, doing my job. You're doing the Lord's work. I'm doing my job. Uh, I am obsessed with putting doggy DNA test kits in my online shopping cart, but never going through with it. <laughs> I am obsessed with Rosalia, the Spanish pop star. She's incredible. Yeah. I'm obsessed with the way I look in self-checkout security cameras, which I think <laughs> is like hotter than most people look in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obsessed with the fact that they're making a musical based on Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. That's not what I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with everyone on Twitter relitigating the song song Ironic, like whether or not it's ironic. We're doing that whole thing again. I think it's fine for the record. It's not irony, but who cares? There's a subreddit called Real Bees Fake Top Hats. I can't stop. It is exactly what it sounds like. Check it out. I'm obsessed with Chuck E. Cheese's Twitter account. It's incredible. And... And Charles Entertainment Cheese. Okay. They've, they acknowledged, actually, that that's what it stands for. There was a tweet that just said Charles Entertainment <laughs> Cheese. So that's settled. And finally, this is the ultimate. It's an article that I just read on Foreign Policy's website. It's about a Pizza Hut ad that featured um, Mikhail Gorbachev, the mm-hmm. former Soviet leader. He was in a Pizza Hut ad in the, the late 90s. What? In 1987. Really? Yeah, it's unreal. I'll have to show it to you. 
And Paul Musgrave wrote the article about it. It's a beautifully written article. And the ad, the YouTube ad is embedded in it. Apparently he was just broke and Pizza Hut was looking to expand. And I don't know. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Wild. Fascinating. And that's what I'm obsessed with right now. That's incredible. That reminds me of like when uh, people unearthed like Sean Spicer's like obsession with Dippin' Dots. Right. That's kind of my favorite. Yeah. Like, yes. That's a weird crossover. That's strange. And Mary, what are you obsessed with right now? Well, I, as we discussed, I have, I have very like deliberate one fixation mm-hmm. and it like, it, it's, it lasts for a while. Uh-huh. So this has been going for like two weeks now, I think. Um, I'm obsessed with, um, uh, Love Island, the Australian version. Mm. And, and so that most of my obsessions are, are media. Like it's mostly like shows. Reality or, shows. Actors or, or musicians, and I just like go through their whole, you know, yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, so with Love Island, Australia, I cannot. It's 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 difficult because um, it's so vapid, and <laughs> sometimes I get obsessed with things that feel more like mentally enriching, <laughs> uh-huh. and I feel like maybe I can. I'm or emotionally like I get it. Um, this I just feel like a real dumb dumb watching it, but I. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't stop. Um, and it's it's not all I think about. The, also, the it's such a slow pace because it's like in real time. Yeah. Like day by day. And like at least in the Bachelor or the Bachelor franchise is also years, 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 like decades long obsession. Um, at least in the Bachelor franchise, like they craft a story. It is like just action packed. You right. know, with Love Island, you really just savor those nuggets of drama or these, you know, moments of, wow, what happens next? Um, and I think this is, I think it's actually an old season. I think this season was like last year and I just, I love them. I think it's an, from my perspective, I also love it. Mary loves it more than I do. I think it's an experiment in what happens when you deprive people of any kind of stimulation except their relationships with each other. Yeah, they don't give them books. I don't see, like... No internet access. Like, I think one time they gave them, like, a writing utensil. Like, it's kind of... (laughs) (laughs) So it's... And then there was, like, one time where uh, somebody got to go get groceries... Oh, and man. they're freaking out. She's like, oh, my God, I get to leave. Taste and like the damn. outside world. It's like the Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. We've decided we would like to, and this seems like a perfectly gay mechanism for ending a podcast. Um, we have two things we're going to do to close this out. We are each going to read a poem to each other, and we are going to draw a tarot card. <laughs> this is really gay. It is perfectly gay. <laughs> And we hope that you are wearing wool socks and the, or maybe with Birkenstocks. Uh, drinking uh, kombucha out of a mason jar. Yes, yes. Uh, applying coconut oil to your lover's back. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you do your poem. I'm so okay. excited. And we haven't talked about this, so I don't know what poem you've chosen. And we love, we've, we've, we're both just like poetry nuts. And yeah. we've really bonded, I think, over, our, our, uh, over our sharing poems with each other, too. Yes, it's one of my favorite things we do. So this is... By one of my very favorite poets, um, Lorna de Cervantes. And this poem is called Love of My Flesh, Living Death. Mm. Once I wasn't always so plain. I was strewn feathers on a cross of a dune, an expansive ocean at my feet, garlands of gulls, sirens and gulls. They couldn't tame you. You know as well as they. To be a dove is to bear the falcon at your breast, your nights, your seas. My fear is simple. 
heart-faced above a flare of etchings, a lineage in letters, my sudden stare. It's you. It's you, sang the heart upon its mantled pelvis. Blush of my breath, catch of my sea. Beautiful bird, it's you. <gasps> oh my God, that's so pretty. Isn't that gorgeous? Oh, thank oh, you love for the sharing mo- I that. love the, the movement. It's like it's I can feel so... wings whipping up the seas. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm right. I feel like I'm right there. Mm-hmm. I'm and just right there. And the, it's, I know that this, this is, doesn't oh. come across as, it's blush of my breath, catch of my sea, S-E-E. That's amazing. Isn't that I bet it's, yeah, I bet it's beautiful to just look at visually. Yeah, it looks gorgeous. Okay. Okay, what you got? Um, I have a poem that is like impossible to find online because it's mostly as a spoken word piece that um, Sarah Brickman did. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Brickman, actually, I'm just such a fan of her. I have a full disclosure, she's my friend. <laughs> um, but she, uh, she actually edited my book. Oh, yeah, um, cool. And so uh, this is one of my favorite poems of all time. Every time I have anybody that wants to, like, watch a spoken word piece, you have to watch Sarah perform this piece. Cool. It is it is exquisite. It's an exquisite masterclass of performance poetry. Cool. But I'm going to try to do it justice. This is a poem called Talking Shit to Sadness. I'm so sad. Antidepressants take me. I'm so sad I rode a pony at the fair and the pony got pony cancer. (laughs) I'm so sad I wrote a book on sadness. It's called A Guide to Sadness. The first page is a picture of me. Every other page is a mirror, except the last page, which is just two otters crying. (laughs) I'm so sad I tried yoga. I bought copper bracelets. They suck up bad chemicals and leave you new. But my new self only wanted to drink margaritas and cry. I waited for a train and the train was made of air, but my lover was on it. My lover was also made of air. Mm. We made out, but I didn't feel anything. I made tea, but the tea was made of cigarettes. He said, just smile. But my smile turned him into dead puppies. She said, look on the bright side. So I locked her in a tanning bed. (laughs) I prayed in every religion, every language. Prayed in pantheons that don't exist anymore. I'm so sad. Kale and seaweed. Cider vinegar three times a day. No friends. Too busy. (laughs) Stacking pamphlets on anxiety. Conquering orgasms in a temple while getting more sleep. I cried it out. And what I cried out was a city block full of men's rights activists. (laughs) I go for a walk to calm down. And terriers die at my feet. Mm. Mustard greens wilt in the garden. The Puget Sound fills with dead orcas. But hey, at least we're all calm now. (laughs) I'm so sad a bird flew into me thinking I was a glass door. A mountain emptied for coal was suddenly full again. But a mining company bought it right away. I sit inside the mountain hammering at myself with a pickaxe to try to feel anything. The bird is crashing into my cliffs, keeps breaking her pretty neck on the granite. Mm. Inside my cave, I don't feel the reverberations, but I know she keeps flying Mm. as though towards something living. Swing the axe, he raped me. 
Swing the axe. They never loved me. Mm. Swing the axe. Always too much and never enough. I'm so sad I hammer to open a tunnel. Though I am not sure that I believe in the sky. And I swing and I swing and I swing. (sighs) Oh, holy mother. I just, you can't help when you read it. Yeah. You just know, you feel it. It pulled something out of you. And I feel like anybody that deals with any type That's of mental illness is just like brilliant. a mirror in this poem. Oh, that, that, that line of, I'm so, I'm so sad a bird flew into me thinking I was a glass windows. I mean. It's exquisite writing. I, you've never read that for me before. Never? No. Oh, it's my, I think it's my favorite poem in the whole world. I have just goosebumps everywhere. It's incredible. This is magic. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad we got to share this with people. I think this is like, also, I also love how scattered this podcast is. I like it's it too. It's perfect for manic episodes. It's on brand. We are nothing if not on brand. I, we just went from laughing to crying and I'm sure we're going to laugh again. We're about to close this first episode. Oh my God. So we want to thank y'all for listening. Yes. This has been a blast. Yes. We are planning on doing this once a week. So as promised, we're going to draw on the magic of those two beautiful poems and draw a tarot card. Honey, do you want to do the honors? Okay, but what are we thinking about? Of like... What kind of guidance can we give to younger people who struggle with mental illness? What what kind of allyship? What kind of mentorship? What kind of activism can we offer them? I love that. Okay, so we're going to ask the tarot card. What can we offer? Yeah. In this podcast. Okay. Do you want me to do it? Please. Oh, No, it might be a good thing. Is it good? What we got, folks, is the reversed five of cups, which means return of enjoyment, new alliances, friendships renewed, hopeful expectations. Oh, wonderful. Okay, good, good, good. good. That's real good. You just never, you never know. And sometimes it feels ominous. Oh, and then just inevitably death shows up. Yeah. (laughs) Just like life. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been a blast. Yeah, can't wait to talk talk more. We have so much we want to cover, and thank you for tuning in. Should we tell them what we're going to talk about next week? Yeah, next week's episode is going to be about dating while fat. <laughs> Yay! Yay! We'll see y'all then. <laughs>